Recording is in progress. All right, recording is in progress. Welcome back to another episode of Step Back Sisterhood. I'm your host for this lovely evening or afternoon, wherever you are. I got Britt, I got Tara, and I got Janelle here with me. And first, we're going to start off with ESPN.com's predictions for the Eastern and Western Conference. The kind of cookie cutter, maybe some surprises, but we're going to start off with Janelle. Janelle, how do you feel about these rankings in, of the Eastern Conference teams? I think they're pretty solid, you know, top from, from bottom. Um, you know, can't, can't argue with, with a healthy Nets team, you know, being the presumptive favorites. And um, and for, for Philadelphia, it's going to be interesting to, to see how they would do, you know, with, with the whole Simmons situation and how they're going to plan to um, run it back after that uh, disappointment in the playoffs. So that's it, going to be interesting. And what's really going to be interesting to me is the progression of Atlanta and Charlotte. You know, uh, Charlotte made the play in, but, you know, I'm looking to see whether or not they have enough now with book night and ball to make the playoffs or are they miss? Are they still missing that piece to put them over the top? And I'm looking to see whether or not if, if Atlanta is has solidified themselves and um, you know if they can build off the momentum that that, that they had from uh, from the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting. But as far as the top tier teams, what I what I see from them and what I know of them, it's pretty standard. I think the Bulls being ranked ninth, I think that's too low. Am I, do I have too many high expectations for the Chicago Bulls? You get DeRozan, get Lamel, uh, excuse me, Lonzo. You get DeMar DeRozan. Zach Levine looks like he's taken that next step. And then you have Alex Caruso. You got Patrick Williams, who you picked in 2020 draft, a lottery pick. Am I thinking about the Bulls? Am I too high on the Bulls? Because I don't think they should be ninth. I actually think the Bulls are a playoff team. Just with their roster, I think they're a playoff team. Am I the only one that a, thinks a that? A playoff team or a borderline playoff team? I, I don't think they should be ninth on this list. Where just do you with rank the, them at? I probably have them in this seven, eight range, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not saying they're going to be a top six seed now, you know, with injuries and things like that, you never know with the NBA, but I don't have them nice. I think they're better than that. Now, I could be having too much hype around the Bulls, but I think they did some solid things this offseason. I really do. Yeah, I think so, they do. I, I about forgot about Chicago. Now, mm-hmm. what, what do you think of, how do you think, Billy Donovan should go about tinkering with this roster to get the most out of it. I think what DeRozan is going to bring is probably going to be not looked at close enough. He came from pop play with the Spurs. Usually players that, you know, come from that system, bring something to their new teams. And I think DeRozan is going to add an extra element to the Chicago Bulls team that they haven't seen. He's a winner. I mean, he's he's won. He hasn't, you know, got over that hump because he had the LeBron hump in Toronto. And then he went to San Antonio and he learned a new system. 
kind of struggled a little bit, but kind of got his feet fitting underneath him. And then you have Lonzo Ball, which I think is going to put DeRozan and Levine, and you got Kobe White coming off the bench, put those young guys in spots to get easier shots. I love Lonzo Ball as a natural point guard. I actually love him as a natural point guard and a defender. And I think DeMar DeRozan became a better defender in San Antonio. So when I look at this list, I'm like, okay, Billy Donovan, can you get these guys to work together and play the right guys at the right time? You know, rotations are key in the NBA. You got to know how to rotate your guys. Also, Washington being 11th, I think Cal Kuzma, it might be a little of a hot take, but I, I don't really think so. I think Cal Kuzma is going to have a great year in Washington. I think Washington is solid. I really do. They lost Russ, but you got Montrezl Hurl, you got Kuzma, you got Tom Bryan coming back from injury, you still got Rui. Um, Danny Avasia will be back. Hopefully Bertans can play better, but you still got Bradley Beal, who's a top three shooting guard in the NBA and an all-star. And they have the Wizards 11th. But the East is going to be fun. That bottom, those after Miami, it gets real fun after Miami. So we'll see how it shakes out. But I have high hopes for Washington, honestly. And I actually have high hopes for Chicago. So we'll just see how it plays out. Amber, to piggyback on what you just said about it being fun, I just personally, every time an Eastern conference team gets better, I just thank the universe because that's like one more player who didn't go to the West. <laughs> um, but when I go down the list uh, that they have for the East, you know, number one, Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Number two, the champion Milwaukee. Okay. Like you might have an argument that maybe they might ride some of their success to the number one seed, but also they learned a lot, I think last year. So th- finishing the, uh, the season with, you know, the second best record in the East and then Philly and Miami, and then you get down to like Atlanta and it's, you're like, you're right. It starts to get fun. Like Atlanta at five. I mean, they were just in the conference finals. Are they going to, uh, you know, learn from what happened or was that sort of just, you know, a fluky run Boston. I figure at number six is like, they're just like required to put Boston in number six, you know, no lower than number six, just because of like, you know, I don't know, ratings or whatever, but then New York at, at seven, that's where I'm kind of like, Hmm, I'm not quite sure I'm ready to jump New York all the way up to number seven that fast. And when we were talking about Chicago, I think I might flip Chicago and New York, because as exciting as it is that the New York Knicks are, you know, a fun basketball team to watch these days, I'm not sure that they're going to climb up that much. And then you got Charlotte, at, you know, at number eight, they're also fun. Chicago, you talked about it. Indiana, not sure how much fun they're going to be. Um, but I just really am mixed. Like I said, I'm just excited every time I see the East uh, taking steps to get better because for so long, there were only a couple teams that really drove, you know, all of the excitement in on that uh, side of the country and, you know, that side of the bracket. So I just look at it and I'm like, I'm just excited to see uh, teams that are going to be interesting to watch and to watch them develop over the years. Yeah. And I think for me, I am, uh, to be honest, I'm not going to put the bulls that high. Like Amber, I do agree with you that they have a pretty good chance of being, you know, either a play in team or even, you know, maybe even getting to the sixth seed, but they're young. And most of them, I know Billy Dolan has playoff experience, but most of them don't, 
even you know the um the other ball brother he has uh he does not have um too much playoff experience so to expect for a team their first year to jump up from essentially having a really bad several years and i i know that zach levine has gotten a lot better i know that you know it could be a good group of players and i don't think that they're going to be like horrible this year but i think ninth does fit pretty well because i think that they're definitely a play-in team i could see them like you know eighth ninth and then being able to get themselves in during the first games for the play-in but i'm not necessarily like the biggest you know believer in them right now especially since they haven't proved anything i think at least with the knicks the knicks did play in the playoffs last season and they didn't really have a ton of turnaround when it comes to player transitionings um they have a lot of the same core which may be a bad thing because then they're you know people will probably figure out what they're doing but if Thibodeau is as good of a coach as some people would like to give him credit for, then he should be able to transition that or he'll just, you know, do the same things as he's done the last few years when it comes to, um, you know, supposedly overplaying um, folks. But hey, I, think Britt, the, I got a yep. question. How do you feel about the acquisition of Kimber Walker and Evan Fournier in New York? Do you think that could possibly maybe do them justice or do you think Kimba won't be healthy? I think Kemba is really, I guess maybe that's the same feeling I have about Hayward as well, is that their health has re really been pretty bad. So to assume that they're going to do anything different um, is pretty difficult. Like not everyone's going to be like a Chris Paul who played pretty, you know, pretty badly for one season and then go somewhere else and just thrive, especially Kemba since he already had that opportunity. Um, to do so and he it didn't really um, work in Boston but I, I think the one thing you can say about Tibbs is that he had you know in the last season he was able to take you know someone who I, I know that um, Rose was doing pretty well in Minnesota but he was able to take you know what he was starting to do well in Minnesota and bring it to a next level in the next so I, I'm hoping for Kimba's sake that he's able to um, you know show the potential and the you know the work ethic um on the court um all the time when it can, comes to him instead of being sidelined because of injuries i think that's the thing that hurts the most with him um, and the same thing with um hayward as well i think hayward could be that piece for the hornets to be successful but like if he's injured then they're gonna just you know um putter out just like what happened last season uh with them you know they them playing well and then all of a sudden you know um lamella ball and him getting injured just like hayward got injured in boston so i i sort of lump the uh situation of kemba and hayward to you know in the same bucket like if they're healthy then they're going to definitely be a really great piece for their teams but if they're not then you know i feel like they're just going to be in this the their teams are going to be in the same position as last season now ladies i have a question for you would it surprise you if any <clears throat> excuse me would it surprise you if any of these top four teams in the east dropped down to that that bottom would it surprise you because we don't know what's going on with ben simmons in philly right in Miami, 
I, I like Miami's chances to stand in that top four, but you know, injuries happen. So would it surprise you if the top four didn't finish in the top four somehow, some way, or would it not surprise you? It would not surprise me at all because again, like you said, uh, there's still some turmoil issues in Philadelphia. And, you know, we, we don't, we don't know the situation with that and uh, with Miami. I mean, they, they are consistent. They're, they're solid. But again, you know, like you said, injuries happen. And plus, you know, they, they, they may not, you know, really be enough. I mean, they, they may look like it on paper, but, you know, there's, you know, all that culture stuff could, um, I mean, you know, you it, it, they they work hard and all, but all that culture stuff cannot measure up to the talent of the upper tier teams. So you know, Miami or Philly taking a dive wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Janelle. Like, I feel like if one or two of them, um, namely Miami and the Sixers, like you said, you know, go. Um, in the bottom four, or I guess bottom six, since there's playing teams um, position, I wouldn't be as surprised, but I, I would be very surprised if all four of those teams don't, you know, at least get into the top four. I think yeah. at least one of them is going to just because of the talent. I, I feel like the, you know, if Philly wasn't having the issues that they have, um, the Nets, the Bucks, and the um, Sixers, if they're not able to resolve it soon, they're pro- they they are slightly above the rest of the pack. Although, you know, everything else is just sort of speculative. But when it comes to the you know the Philly situation, and I feel like Miami has a lot of injury concerns as well as like their age that definitely factors into them as well. That's why I feel like like those two definitely have a chance of going, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go like below the four seed. But I would be surprised if all four of those teams drop. Here's what I'm wondering about Philadelphia: if Simmons didn't have the issues that he was having, and he didn't want out, what would it take for them to get over the top? Yeah, if if everything was cool with Ben, and they decide to run it back. What would it take for that team to get over the hump? Because they they collapsed against Atlanta. Let's be clear. They, if I recall correctly, they blew like an eighteen point lead in one game, and then, or maybe it was like a twenty point lead in one game, or twenty two or something like that, and then turn around and then eighteen, blow eighteen point lead the next. What would it take for them to get over the hump? Would Doc Rivers have to make adjustments? What what would have had what would have to happen? Ben Simmons has to be aggressive on offense. That's that's all what it comes down to. When Joel Embiid was out, he was aggressive on offense, and then all of a sudden, he was inconsistent again. I just didn't understand it. But that's my answer. If Ben Simmons is aggressive on offense, Philly is hard to beat. They are very difficult to beat. But when he's not aggressive on offense, you get what you got against Atlanta. It just that's that's my answer. Britt, how how do you feel? I mean, I think at this point, even mentioning Simmons is hard. I mean, I, I know he's gonna report now, or at least according to reports, he's gonna um report 
to the team because he doesn't want to lose his money. But at the same time, it, fe- it feels like he has both feet out, out of the door. So it's sort of hard for me to imagine Simmons wanting to, you know, cooperate and be the best player he can be. Um, I do agree with you, Amber. If he was going to do that, then it makes Philly extremely hard to beat. Um, and I guess, to be honest, if we're, you know, sort of saying it, I, um, no offense, Tara, Tara, Tara that um, it would most likely have to include like a trade for a certain player on the West Coast. Um, that's name is Lillard or CJ, CJ or something like that. But I mean, I, I think that it would have to take a very good compliment I guess if I'm going to ignore like a team that could potentially do that it would have to take someone who would be a very good compliment to Embiid to be to be taken over the top because you know even though Simmons and Embiid have had you know pretty good success I mean you can't say that someone getting a number one seed last season is not successful even though they failed in the playoffs the they it seems like they've never really been like they have, they haven't really been in step with the mixture of either injuries happening where, you know, someone is sidelined and once they get like up to speed, it's like the other ones um, sidelined because of injuries or because of, you know, I guess more recently drama. So I think in general, if, you know, the Simmons situation is just untenable at this point, they need to bring in someone who is a good, um, you know, ball handler and who can play well with Embiid that could allow for them to go over the top. Um, Cause Embiid's like a really, really good player. Um, as long as he's not injured, <laughs> maybe the answer is I don't think they're going to get over the top at all because of the injury concerns with Embiid. Well, and, and keeping it in line with like, what if they're not able to uh, make a trade that they want? Um, what do they need to do? Who's the leader on that team? Like not who's the best player, but like, who's the leader? Like, who's the general? Who's the person who gets them all together, who inspires them, who makes sure that they're on the right track on Philadelphia? Who's the leader on that team? Is a good question. Because I think that's like, if one of the players on the existing team could decide that they were the leader and that the team was willing to be led by that, you know, heart and soul. Like who's, I don't know, Amber, since you've been in Philadelphia for, you know, a little while now, like, is there somebody who's the heart and soul in terms of like, not just like the best player or the most fun or the person everybody likes the most, but like, you know, who's the, who's the one that, you know, everyone looks to. That's a good question. And you know, for me, I want to say Joel Embiid. I really do. But that is a question that has to be answered because, you know, great champions have great leaders. My college coach used to tell me that all the time. If you don't have a leader on your team, then winning a championship is not, it's not doable. And even in Toronto, Kyle Lowry was their leader. And, you know, Kawhi did it by example. By example. And Kyle Lowry was their leader. Uh, Golden State, I think Draymond Green is the heart and soul of Golden State. Uh, You know, LeBron, he's a great leader. Dame is an excellent leader. We know that. So when you look at championship teams, even though Dame hasn't won a championship yet, you look at championship teams and teams that are successful, they have leaders. That was the Clippers problem. I talked about this on a podcast before. 
they didn't know who the heck their leader was. They don't, they didn't have that guy. I still don't know who the Clippers guy is, honestly. Even for OKC, I can say Shea Gilders Alexander is OKC's leader. Um, as quiet as he comes off, but he's the guy that they look to to be that guy, if that makes sense. For Philly, I'm not sure. I want to say Embiid. I do, but I'm not quite sure. Let me go to some 76ers games and let me <laughs> kind of, you know, embrace this Philadelphia culture. And then I could probably have a better answer for you in a couple of months. But I want to say it's in B, but I'm not quite sure, honestly. I mean, it's amazing what a team can do when they have a leader that everybody wants to rally around and everybody wants to, uh, you know, listen to and support. And there, I'm not saying that Joel and B couldn't become that person if, but it just doesn't seem to me from the outside that he is that yet. So, yeah, I would. Keep your ear to the ground. See, let us know what you find out. <laughs> oh, most definitely. We can we can recap that in the future. Um, but does anybody else have any thoughts on leadership about the Philadelphia 76ers organization? We ready to move on to the West, ladies, which most of our teams are in the West. <laughs> All right, the Western Conference predictions. Uh, Britt, you want to go ahead and give the order and give your thoughts and feelings about how you feel? And I should unmute myself, but I, as I am saying, so the order is the Jazz um, winning the conference all by the Lakers, the Suns, the Nuggets, the Mavs, and Golden State um, with the last four teams um, for the play-in group being the Clippers, the Trailblazers, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans. Um, I mean, I think at the top, it's once again, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like the Jazz sort of fit into that like very good regular season team because they won't, you know, they won't take a you know a day off, so to speak, and they'll play hard no matter what. But if that's going to transition for them to finally get to the NBA Finals for the first time in more than you know, I guess maybe closer than thirty years, but uh, <laughs> but in close to like 25, 27 years, I guess technically. Who knows at this point? As for the Lakers, I think the thing that's sort of funny about the Lakers is that like they definitely have the talent to be successful. Um, the issue is that like the talent outside of LeBron, because who knows like when he'll go over the hill, but it seems like he's not going to be over the hill anytime soon. They have a lot of old players. Uh, Westbrook is the you know, when you're saying that West um, Russell West, Westbrook is one of the youngest players on your team. That should, that's very concerning, at least to me. Um, I, I think that they're going to get you know take days off and they're just going to you know do just enough so that they're not in the bottom four because that's what really messed them up last season. Like they were in the play-in game and then they didn't have enough when the suns came around. Um, but in general, I, I just sort of feel like they're going to be in the position to either be, you know, really good and get themselves to the finals, or they're going to fall apart after a while. Um, I mean, they probably, I think based on their schedule where they have really easy starting schedule and then they, you know, the games get progressively harder on the second half that, it essentially will allow them to be pretty much successful. Um, as for the rest of it, I, I really feel like the, you know, the, 
the Western Conference feels as weak as it, as it has been since there was the flip from the Eastern Conference being really good to bad. Like, I feel like we're in that transition period where the Western Conference is going to have a long period of being the inferior conference in, you know, in the East and West. So it's really hard for me, be, I guess, besides the Suns saying like, hey, this team's going to be really good. Like the Nuggets have that potential, but if Murray's going to be out most of the season, then, you know, I feel like this could be a bad year for them. The Mavericks, I, I don't know, it's the Mavericks. Um, the Warriors, I'm not as positive about just because of, you know, the, I know that Clay is returning, but a lot of that will factor into, you know, if he is able to get up to speed really fast, then I think the Warriors will be able to get, you know, a lot of their, um, a lot of the stuff that they've lost over the few last few years. But um, if not, then I, I don't necessarily see them being anything more than a plan team, but maybe that's just like me hating, but I don't necessarily think so. Um, and then the rest of it, it's really a toss up. Like I, I feel like beyond like, you know, four or fifth, the rest of it's just going to be, you know, it'll be what it is, but I just don't know how to sort of categorize the rest of the conference because the conference is just relatively weak this season. Oh, anybody else got any thoughts about the West? Yeah, I do. Um, the Jazz and the Lakers and, you know, those teams, it isn't really surprising uh, to be up in the top tier. And with the, the age, this might be me, but when I think of the regular season, I think of the regular season as being for the for the younger players, you know, that because they are better equipped or should be if they take care of the bodies, the the handle that consistent grind night in and night out. But you know, the older players like what most of the Lakers, you know, are right now. Yeah, they will take some nights off and all, but, you know, they're, like like you said, Britt, I think they're going to do just enough to keep them from being a playing team and just really saving their energy for the playoffs. And that makes sense. The way I see it, you know, playoffs is for the vets, you know, you know that, that experience, that savvy. You know, that IQ, that those intangibles, that's where that, it comes into play. Um, and the Jazz, I mean, they're, they're, I, don't, I don't love to see, you know, where they are for real this year. You know, if, if they can progress or really maintain what they had so, you know, they won't be considered a fluke. Um, but what's really interesting to me is, how the Warriors and the Mavs are tied. And I know the reason behind it. I mean, that ESPN and most of the media is really pushing for Luka to get MVP or, or um, have their odd, have more of odds of getting the award. And, and that is what it is. But I don't really see any, you know, tweakings of the roster to really can justify them being fifth and as far as the warriors are concerned 
my concern is that hope and clay, you know, coming back to where he was. My concern ain't with him really shooting the ball. My concern is with his defense and, you know, lateral movements and even lateral movements and pin downs and such. That is where my concern lies. And another uh, concern of mine lies is, is where Wiseman's development. As we all know, bigs take a longer time to develop. And right now in the modern NBA, you know, what does development of a big look like? So that's going to be interesting to see. And what's going to, another thing that'd be interesting to see is um, the contributions of Moody and Kaminga. But, you know, them being fifth or, or six rather, you know, that that's about right for them, for this group. Because again, we don't know what kind of, uh, what version of Clay Thompson we're getting here. So yeah. I'm pretty cool with that. And what yeah. I'm really interested in seeing as far as the West is concerned is the, also the progress with the Grizzlies. You know, they've, they've shocked us, the Warriors, of course. And, you know, I like to see how their development is. That's all I got. Yeah. I guess the one thing I would say is that I feel like the Grizzlies spot is too low. Like, am I um, thinking too much about that? Because, I mean, uh, you know, if I'm going by the philosophy that, hey, these players, you know, these teams that have had um, success in the you know playoffs last season will be able to, and, you know, getting to the playoffs for the first time, they'll be able to get in, you know, improve. Like, the saying that the Grizzlies are going to be ninth, which is essentially, wasn't that what they were last season um, for the play-in game? Because they had to play yeah, two play-in yeah, games. I think they were ninth. Yeah. So, uh, why are you, I, I, I'm sort of confused that they are that low. Um, I know all the other teams, and I think the Clippers are too high, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, so unless they make a big, huge deal, you know, if they make a um, big roster move, but Kawhi is not going to be will. there for a while. Yeah. It's like, uh, that's what I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, as far as the Grizzlies, what kind of moves did they make? I know that they had Beverly for a while, but traded him to, to many. I'm wondering who stuck around. How did that roster get better? If so, I, if I don't, I don't remember them making a significant move to have to put to them to prove. So I guess that's their ranking is kind of right, but. I don't know. I, I think that with the Grizzlies, I think that they have, um, I think they are well positioned as one of the higher, I think they should, I think they should be a little bit higher. I think they're still in that play in range and I don't think they're aggressively trying to get a lot better. I think they're still trying to develop the players they have. They have a lot of young, very talented players who are still quite um, you know, quite, quite new and need like um, more development, like, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Brandon Clark, um, Tillman, 
they 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 their big change they they did this weird trade and I'm not gonna repeat it because it'll it, it's like so com- complex but it was the one that brought Stephen Adams there that was like a cascade of they basically they turned Jonas Valanciunas into like six people by a constant string of chain trade 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 one after the other but if you did look at Adams? I don't yes, he's still it. on the team right now. Um, but he's like the, probably the, I think he's like the oldest player on the team. They have a lot of young and exciting players. And I think that they, I mean, of course they want to win and they're striving to make to the playoffs and go as far as they can. But I think their number one concern is making sure that those young players who've shown a lot of really good development over the last one year or two years continue to, to show that. So I don't think they're in like win now mode. I think they're in we're going to be ready to win really soon. And we're going to practice as hard as we can right now. Um, so I might put them up a little higher, but I guess if I was going to say, if they moved up a little higher, who moves lower. And for me, the one that stands out is Dallas. Um, I think you, uh, I maybe you both mentioned this. Like, I don't understand who's on Dallas besides Luca. Are we just going to like give him that much, you know, credibility. And he's so good that he's just going to like bring that, like, cause that's the a, hope. a healthy poor Zingas, like is a, is, is a Luca and a healthy poor Zingas better than Damian Lord and CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic. Like who's their third person? Like, I don't, I don't understand I why this Tim Hardaway jr. But at the only significant move that they made was having Jason Kidd as a head coach. I mean, I you know, I really don't get any personnel moves that warrant them being fifth in the West. I, I just don't see it. Well, I'm a big Moses Brown fan, but I don't even think Moses Brown is going <laughs> to move the needle that much for, for Dallas. I, I really just don't understand it. And if Luca is the one that he's going to put the entire team on his back and take them to fifth. I don't know how he's going to have anything left. I know he's one of these guys who can just go and go and go and go, but you can't do that for two years in a row. If you're the only person on the team is my thought on that. But um, I know your ahead. thoughts on um, how Portman is ranked. So low. is it because of, I'm not even talking about the turmoil with, you know, with that well supposing it turned turmoil with dame they want to stay but i'm curious to know is this ranking indicate um is this ranking for you know you know chauncey you know being the head being a first-time head coach or what what are the other um issues at play here I really am not surprised by it. And I really don't care because I would way rather have them um, trying to prove everybody wrong. (laughs) So I am totally fine with it. I think they are quite better. I think they're better than eight for sure. And I think that, oh, I think that the people who make these rankings don't know Portland as well as I do and don't. Like, I, I really think that Damon CJ are going to look at all of the talk that's been happening this summer, some of which was stirred up by maybe one of them. But I think that I really think that they're going to come back in and play harder than ever. They're going to ha- they have a new coach who's going to have something new. And what that seems to me is like you were asking, like, does that put them back because they have enough new coach? And I think having them having new coaches actually probably we're going to see some dividends from that and Janelle when you were talking about uh Golden State I kind of worry that Golden State is sort of in the place where Portland was 
last year with their, just with, in terms of with their coach, because last year, like it was clear that like this coach had taken them as far as they could go and they needed, they need new eyes on them. And I wonder sometimes if that's what's going on with golden state. And I worry that they're going to have about a year. Her? Yeah. Yeah. And I worry that they've been doing the same what? thing for so long. They See, what need happened something with to- her, what happened with us is that we didn't get a new head coach, but we got a bunch of assistant coaches. We got Kenny Atkinson and we have a couple of guys who are leaning heavily into development. And what I'm hoping from them is, you know, them kindly challenging Kerr to do something else, to change Got it. it. That, that's, that's what I'm hoping because obviously we have no choice but to lean in on these kids mm-hmm. because we are in salary cap hill. Right. It is what it is. Yeah. Well, and I think with the, with the Blazers, like last year, they were just playing the same game that they've been playing for the last seven years. And now they're going to have somebody new in there. Who's going to make them think about trying some different things. Plus we're going to have contract year Nurkic, which I think is, has the potential to um, really move the, so I, I personally think Portland will finish like four or five, but I have absolutely no problem with them being, uh, listed as eight and that four or five, they will attain in the last 10 games of the season. Like they do every single year. <laughs> ah, okay. See so finishing last. Hmm. That's a possibility. I think, I couldn't name their starting five the other day. I was trying to figure it out. And the guy that he's an OKC fan, we were DMing, DMing each other on Twitter. And I was like, who's the starting five for OKC? And he told me, I was like, oh. So I know where OKC is. And I know they're worried about player development right now. They're not really worried about having the best record. In a couple of years, yes. But right now, no. That doesn't bother me. A team that probably will surprise some people I think I want to say Golden State, if they can stay healthy, they will probably make a push to not be in that play in. If they and can try stay to, healthy, if they, if can, they can stay, stay healthy. Yeah, yeah that player development. Develop. Yeah, that player development I'm interested in in Golden State. The Grizzlies, I'm a huge John Morant fan. And with Brandon Clark healthy, uh, healthy. Uh, JJJ coming back and him being healthy. I love Desmond Bain. Rick, uh, he'd be his second year out of t- third year out of TCU, or second or third year out of TCU. I like what they have in Memphis. I-, I like what they have in Memphis, but I don't understand how they keep wanting to put Memphis and the Pelicans so close, or the Grizzlies and the Pelicans so close to each other. I think that Memphis is a way better team than New Orleans. And maybe that's just me. I'm not high on the Pelicans at all. Actually, you can actually put Sacramento in that spot. The only reason why I won't put Sacramento in that spot is because of Luke Walton. He doesn't know his rotations to save his life. Do you want to start Buddy Hill? Do you not want to start Buddy Hill? Um, It's just a mess there in Sacramento, organization-wise. But talent-wise, I'm really high on De'Aaron Fox. I wish people can see De'Aaron Fox more on TV because he's a great player, excellent player. <sighs> Sacramento just can't quite figure it out. I like Tyrese Hilliburton. Rashad Holmes ended up signing that deal with Sacramento, which I was very surprised by. I thought he was going to test the 
test the market a little bit more. Can Marvin Bagley stay healthy for them? I mean, goodness grief. He had all the potential in the world coming out of Duke, but he cannot stay healthy. But my prediction is that I think I would rather see Sacramento in that 10 spot because I want to see De'Aaron Fox honestly get more shine than the Pelicans. I'm tired of that Zion and Luca being shoved down my throat. Either they're going to be good or they're not. Just, just let it go. So, and I love Brandon Ingram. I, I just absolutely love Brandon Ingram. And they got Devontae Graham. I cheer for Devontae Graham because of his story, uh, not at, even out of high school, but just his story in general. But I just don't, I don't like the Pelicans there. I'd rather have the Sacramento Kings there, but Luke Walton will be holding them back. And that organization is just in shambles. But I like the Western Conference predictions. I'm surprised they got the Jazz first, though. That is honestly a shocker. To me, that just seems like death taxes and Utah fin- finishing first. You know, I, I mean, I don't know how much of that is because of like the, you know, the advantage if you think of that, they have an advantage because of elevation, like they play half of their games at an advantage at home. And, you know, so maybe that does, maybe that does figure in a little bit, but I want to wholeheartedly agree with your wanting to put Sacramento above new Orleans. This kind of goes back a little bit to what I was saying about, um, you know, leadership Sacramento for all of the front office and coaching you know, missteps, or I, I don't say missteps. Cause like, I'm not there. I don't know what's going on, but, um, the appearance of them not handling everything, uh, Sacramento, you know, has De'Aaron Fox, a guy who wants to lead. And they've got a guy, Harrison Barnes, who's been there for a long time, who has a lot of wisdom and they re-signed someone, they re-signed Rashawn Holmes. And to mm-hmm. me like that, like that looks like a team that's gelling, as opposed to new Orleans, which is just like every year, they're just like trying something new and like, where are you going? What is your direction? Like now you need a new coach and like, what are you doing? Um, I, I just, I feel like Sacramento is a team that's starting to gel as an actual team, despite all the chaos around them. <laughs> and so I would love to see them in the playoff tournament. I, I would too. I just love De'Aaron Fox so much. And I don't, him and John Morant, I just, I love them so much and <laughs> seeing them in the playoffs is, would be, or the play-in would be great. What I'm interested in seeing in from Sacramento is the development of uh, Mitchell. Uh, oh yes. I love Davion Mitchell. Oh, Davion Mitchell. He, he, he had, had a great summer league. Mm-hmm. He had a great summer league. Yeah. It, it's, so, it's possible to assume that Sacramento, uh, got a couple of draft picks right in uh, Halliburton and Mitchell. I'm Mm -hmm. sure where that goes. And if Bagley could stay healthy, like Bagley could easily, I think Bagley could average 20 a game. In today's NBA, I think he could average 20 a game. Can he stay healthy? Like he is supposed to be De'Aaron Fox's number two. I know they got Buddy Hill there, but we don't know what's going on with Buddy Hill. That's kind of in limbo. He is supposed to be, paired with De'Aaron Fox, and they're supposed to be running that team together, in my opinion. But the health, and he's young, too, and he's dealing with all these injuries. So who knows? And we know Luke Walton is just not the guy for that job. I'm not going to say he can't coach. I'm just going to say he's not the guy for that job. I've been – I've come to terms with the fact that his – Sacramento's one of my favorite teams. (laughs) Like, I – because of – partly is because the fans – 
are like anybody who's stood behind it's kind of like with golden state and all those years that golden state struggled and all the fans who stood behind them and then they were rewarded with i am not saying that sacramento is on the verge of being rewarded with the type of reward that golden state fans got but they have put up with and sat through so much over the years and they just like maintain this the ones that i follow at least on twitter they just maintain this attitude of like this is, you know, this is what it is. And we're just going to keep cheering for them. And I just want them to have some kind of success. And there's just been more glimmers lately than in the past, you know, with players. And I like, to me, like having a returning player, uh, somebody choosing to stay there just makes a big statement that just warmed my heart. It's very weird to say that I feel like I'm partly a Sacramento Kings fan, but like, I don't know. <laughs> I just want good things for them. That's fair to say. I mean, that's that's fair to say. Now, we're going to kind of jump the gun a little bit here. Who do you think in, wins the East and who do you think wins the West? Pretty standard to me. I, I'm thinking Brooklyn and the Lakers. Because he like Britt alluded to the West is, is kind of watered down this year. You know, there's, there's no hefty Kawhi, you know, that the Clippers are out, you know, um, the Warriors isn't where they should be, you know, with all the injuries and all in this youth movement. So, you know, they, they can't seriously contend. So, you know, who else? I don't see anybody from the West that can that can contend with the Lakers because of their their experience and and talent still. Do you mean like number of games at the end of the season, or do you mean like who comes out as the through the playoffs as the through the playoffs through the playoffs? Yeah, I know I'm jumping the gun here, but I just wanted to see what you guys thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, is is Murray out for the entire year for Denver, or is he possibly coming back? Because no, Denver he, has a lot of experience. He's actually, I think he's coming back. I think he's coming back. It's going to be like March, April, but he'll probably come back. But at the same time, do I sort of feel like it's sort of up? risky for him yeah. to come back? Um, but I could see like if the nuggets really need additional contributor i don't think murray's gonna sit out but how do y'all guys feel about michael porter jr you know stepping uh, up uh, his uh, defense makes me barf uh I mean, offensively his, great great <laughs> he's pretty good no he's Go good ahead, no he's yeah. good i'm trying to ignore his personal antics but he has shown improvement over the last two seasons. So does that mean that the Nuggets have enough with Jokic and um, and Michael Porter Jr.? I, I, I think they That's could. That's my thing. That's my uh, thing. Do yeah. they have enough? I don't think they have enough to get to the finals, but I definitely think they won't be as awful as a lot of people are saying, or they won't have as much of a step back. Let me say that correctly uh, compared. And I think that um, Aaron Gordon is going to be a good contributor. He was, you know, pretty decent during the short time he was on the team. So I, I think that they have the 
parts to be successful in the regular season and even potentially in the postseason. It just depends on if they can get over the mammoth that is potentially the Lakers, um, you know, if they get to, and I guess even like, you know, the Suns are when you're older with experience of getting to the finals. I think that's going to, you know, def- I guess if I can back up, ultimately it's going to, depend on matchups for the playoffs. Like some of these play, some of these teams are going to get really bad matchups for them and they're going to be out early. And some of these teams are just going to be able to get through a lot of it because they get really good matchups for who they are. And if the nuggets get a good matchup, then yes, they're going to be able to be successful in the playoffs. But if they get a bad matchup for them, I, I think they'll be, they could be one and done. Their defense, they haven't solved their defensive issues at all. And they lost Paul Millsap. So they can't stop anybody, then <laughs> I can't believe in the Nuggets. Just like the Mavericks, they can't stop anybody either. Um, so you got to get stops in the NBA in the playoffs. You just have to. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing with the Nuggets, though, is that they do have experience. I feel like the Mavs, they've gotten a lot of, you know, potential success, even though they haven't shown that much in reality, at least the Nuggets and the core two players, uh, even Michael Porter Jr., which I know who's relatively young, they have had playoff experience and they have gone through multiple playoff rounds. You can't say that about the Mavs right now. And I don't trust kids. So at least like if I was going to compare the Nuggets and the uh, Mavs, I would say at least the Mavs or at least the Nuggets have more potential because they have more experience compared to the Mavs. That's fair to say. I just something about the Nuggets. You just want them, want them to be good, want them to be good, want them to be good and want them to get over that hump. And it's just something that kind of stymies them from from being able to do that. You know, so. Jamal Murray not being there be very interesting. Yes, I do believe Michael Porter is Jokic's number two. I, I firmly believe that. And then some nights he might lead the team in scoring, which is which is fine because, you know, Jokic usually, you know, has his triple-double nights and things like that. He's becoming not a Russell Westbrook triple-double machine, but he's like that point forward with Jamal Murray out. I wonder who they're starting PG is with Jamal Murray out. I'm trying to think. I mean, could Jokic essentially be? Yeah, that? probably. Yeah. I, I, I think I feel Monte like... Morris is more of a two, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Well, Morris is definitely a two, but Jokic was, you know, essentially playing a lot of the point um, previously anyway. I wouldn't be surprised if he takes over a lot more of that role. Yeah, and I just see, you know, one last thing on Denver. I just see them as a team. Like, and I see Denver as a collection of people around Luca. That's like a revolving door around people around Luca. And I feel like Denver has had uh, years now for some of their, except for like, you know, Gordon or whatever, but some of their main pieces have had years now to dwell, to gel with Jokic and like Luca's fantastic and he's a wonderful passer and he'll find everybody on, on the sneaky pass. But like um, the, like you can't I don't I don't think that's team building that's having a star player and I think uh Denver has shown that they've really built something that's you know more than the sum of their parts and maybe that's just because they keep beating Portland (laughs) that could could be coloring my uh excuse me all right ladies do we want to move on to 
kind of things that have been happening around the NBA. We can talk about the John Wall situation and any other things that have been happening around the NBA. I know, Brittany, you have some thoughts on that John Wall situation as well as Janelle. So you guys want to discuss how you feel about that John Wall situation? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the John Wall situation, or at least the latest that people know, is that the Rockets and John Wall had a conversation and decided that, you know, he's going to report to training camp, but he most likely won't play during the season. Um, and a lot of analysts, especially I think like on Sirius XM, NBA radio in particular, have sort of equated that to John Wall not wanting to, sh- you know, using his first um, number one pick status as a means of saying like, Hey, I don't have to play, but I I just feel like there isn't that smoke compared to what happened with the Rockets last season, which is just unfortunate that this drama continues for the Rockets when it comes to um, James Harden, like wall hasn't said anything, even though, you know, Clutch did say one thing, but they have mostly cooled off since then. Um, and the Rockets have been pretty. Uh, I think the one thing that you can say is that the Rockets the last year have been really focused on trying to get players to go to the places that they want. So I, I think it, and especially since they have a new GM, you know, everyone's, you know, different except for Tillman, which, you know, uh, owner slash governor is not going to change that quickly. And I don't think Tillman has actually done anything too bad the last few months. So there's nothing I can complain about currently, but when it comes to there being a transition from the top to bottom, when it comes to the organization and John wall, seeing that the team has been pretty consistent about allowing players to go to a place that they are comfortable with. I'm not seeing the, drama that I'm that is actually being talked about from it um I I mean I I hope that you know whatever happens that it doesn't sort of explode to the same heights as what happened the previous season but outside of that it just seems like you know the Rockets know that they have a young core that they want to develop the season they're not going to necessarily, you know, try to get into the playoffs, but I think they're going to be more competitive than the amount of losses that they had last season. And John Wall doesn't fit that timeline. So they're going to work with him to try to find a spot that works for him. But at the same time, there aren't too many spots right now that fit his contract situation. So it's sort of like he hasn't been healthy and the Rockets are trying to find some place, but because of the contract situation for so many teams, there's not something immediate. And people want things to be done immediately once you know something happens, and as a result, it causes a lot of drama in that aspect. But since there isn't, um, you know, since it, you know, just because of how the current NBA landscape is, it's not going to be an immediate solution to, you know, hit that situation, but it doesn't seem like he's trying to cause drama either. So I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of like in a, like, I wish this wasn't happening, but at the same time, I don't think it's happening because of John wall or because of the rockets. They, you know, they have a decent understanding, but um the drama around it is causing a lot of annoyances. So I guess that's they, all I have. Well, I was just going to add from the outside looking in Brit, it looks like 
Houston, like, it looks like Houston is like totally handling this in a way that is, you know, uh, being respectful of the, you know, the former number one draft pick, like, and, you know, who he is and looking at the current players on the team and wanting to do what's right by them. I just, from, from, like I said, like from the outside looking in, it looks like Houston is going about this the right way. And it looks to me like, I bet Ben Simmons wishes that he was in Houston because Houston seems to be hand, like it's, it doesn't seem to be a, um, seems like it's a long way from last year when it was it appeared from the outside to be a more adversarial relationship between Houston and James Harden. It seems like they've come a long way and are trying to do right by the player. And I know that the Simmons situation is like a different situation because, you know, they're a team that's, you know, at, you know, possibly the top of their game wanting to, you know, move one of their best players. Houston is not there right now, but I just think that it's remarkable from where we were last year at this time or last year, right before the season started and what, you know, Harden was doing and how that was, you know, being perceived, you know, from the outside, I feel like Houston's come a long way. And I, I look at the organization as like, wow, they're, they're, they're doing this. They're doing this the right way. If, you know, if there's a right way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think overall they're, at this point, like, I don't think it's fair for someone to say that John Wall is acting pretentious because he doesn't want to play if that's a mutual decision. Like, if he changes his mind, then ultimately he can go to the Players Association and sort of fight for that. But it seems as though, at least currently right now, that's a mutual decision. And it's not like he's saying, like, oh, I'm not going to play or even, um, you know, uh, report to. Um, camp like he actually said up front like he's going to report the camp like there hasn't really been that much it's just you know certain analysts from certain stations when I already named um, you know saying things that haven't necessarily been true and I guess this sort of goes back to my philosophy that the NBA has some of the worst media in um, North American sports um, maybe that's a little bit too strong to say but I think it's it, it's sort of frustrating to hear like these folks trying to start drama when there probably isn't I agree and from I've heard the same uh, reports from Sirius XM radio and I thought you know where's all this coming from well uh, John Wall hasn't you know made you know ruffled any feathers haven't caused any problems and I think it it is a mutual agreement. And if that's so, I mean, what what do they gain from starting starting mess? And this goes to show you why the issues with the NBA isn't the product in itself; is how it's covered. And let me pivot towards uh, the thought of a midseason tournament. Uh, I wrote an article uh, this week about it and about how how's a bad idea. And that's one of the reasons. I mean, the NBA is great as it is. If there's any changes that need to be made, it might be like maybe tweak the playoff system to fill the 16 or whatever. But all of the changes that are being proposed is gimmicky. It's gimmicky and, you know, 
and that goes to show you that they are listening to the NBA media as far as you know them talking about how ratings is going down and you know I, I just really think it's you know the league don't need a lot of gimmicks. See, I think a midseason, I don't know if a midseason tournament, I think a, a, a smaller tournament would be fun. And I think, I don't, I don't know how it would work. I, you know, I, I've seen lots of, you know, potential ideas about, you know, it being around the time of um, all-star break about it being something like the, uh, commissioner's cup i think is what they called it in the wnba i don't know what it would look like but for me i think one of the things about the nba is is that like the nba is only like one league and like there's basketball's only been you know nba has been around for 75 years but there's like no nothing sacred about the way it works like it's changed a bunch of times the number of games the number of teams like it's evolved in a whole bunch of different ways and that's kind of one of the things that i like about the nba is them like being willing to try something else and if what they came up with was something that could like give more motivation to the teams that don't have all the stars on them. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like it could be fun and uh, it, it might be one of those things where we're all skeptical about, and then they implement it and we go, Oh, actually <laughs> that, okay. that goes well, something to, to take the shine. Out. I, I don't, I would like it, especially if it added shine to the guys who are not already in the spotlight. And I think that's who it would be for, right? All right. I pulled up my article uh, on basketballnews.com and, you know, and I, I wrote, you know, according to Woj, you know, via Bleach Report, that, that was my citation. The concept would go something like, you know, it's an original mid-season tournament and the proposals are centered around a European soccer model event that would tie into the traditional schedule of the NBA an 18 single elimination tournament that would be incentive, you know, the incentives is like a million per player, per player payouts to the winning team. And the league discussed a scenario of pool play embedded in the regular season schedule to determine the teams. See, my, my issue is this, they will expose themselves to injury which is unnecessary. I mean, you could argue that they they take that same risk with, you know, with the playoffs and all, but at least with the playoffs, you know, that's what they're in it for, you know, to, to host that, hoist that Larry O'Brien trophy. You know, that's what they're playing for. They're not playing for the Stern Cup. And I don't care how much money uh, Silver would throw, is willing to throw at it. It, it won't compare to the title and what is a, a extra million dollars to a league full of millionaires you know what i mean well that's gonna move the meat needle for them i i don't believe I, I again though if it was something that had more of a focus for some of the teams that don't have these big stars or i mean because i mean like, as I recall, somebody pointed out that like with the commissioner's cup, the winning team had to split like $500,000. And now with the NBA, we're talking about like each player getting a million dollars. Okay. So as annoying, that is like super annoying. 
<laughs> that the disparity is so huge, but also I don't think a million dollars, like I, I think a million dollars goes a long way for some of these younger players and some of these people who are not the big contract players. And if it was somehow some way that some of these players who aren't making $50 million in a year are, and are making, you know, 1.7 or on their rookie scale contracts and they're still building up to something. Um, I don't know. I guess I, um, I see what you mean. I, I think I see where you're coming from in terms of like, you know, we, do we need the, who is asking for this? Right. Like, is this just a gimmick? Who is asking for this? Is it just to make more money? And I think, yeah, that's probably what it is. But for me, like for a team that hasn't won a championship in a long time, I enjoy different types of competitive options, you know, and this would add a little competitive option for, um, you know, possibly for some of those teams who aren't in the running over there, who don't automatically get put to the top of the ESPN ratings, just, you know, because it's, you know, the Lakers or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing I would say is that the NBA is trying to figure out ways to fix a situation that is difficult to fix, which is keeping players interested in most of the games of the, you know, during the season. Um, I mean, we know about like, you know, essentially like the dead days in between um the you know the all-star game like you know a couple weeks before a couple weeks after where it just feels like the competition isn't that great and i i think from that perspective um or at least is it as good as people you know typically think about when it comes to you know the christmas day games and mlk day games and you know towards the end of the season when folks are trying to be competitive and get into the playoff spot that they want or potentially tanking depending on the circumstance. But um, I, I think from that perspective, Silver and folks are trying to you know, reduce the amount of time that players are essentially wanting to um, not play to the high expected or expectations that they usually have. Um, I mean, I think anytime you go on the court, you're going to get, there's a risk of injury. That's just the, you know, sort of the, you know, the name of the game. Like if you're going to play a sport, especially a extremely competitive or pro sport where people are ma making millions of dollars, then there's risk of injury. Um, that being said, I, I think that if they're going to have a midseason tournament, they need to reduce the amount of games that are being played or give incentive for folks to want to play, you know, 82 games along with whatever is going to be the number of games. Um, does that, and I think that there's other ways of doing this besides just having the, you know, all teams play in the tournament. Maybe they just do it for the bottom, you know, uh, you know, the bottom six or seven teams for each conference and, sort of focus on, you know, young teams or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I, ultimately, it is for money. I, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. But it, it, I think that one thing that we have to keep in mind is that during the, you know, before like the playoff push, a lot of teams aren't wanting to actually try hard. And I think that's what they're trying to get like people motivated to do that with. And I, I think a million dollars for player is a lot, even for 
you know, a superstar player, unless you're making a super max or something close to the max deal, that, that is a lot of money. Um, I, I guess you can use it for whatever you want, but that is a lot of money, even for a, you know, a mid-tier star player. I do appreciate all the points that you brought up though, Janelle, because I think one of the things that I've learned in the last, you know, couple of years is that, um, like when the NBA or whatever, you know, makes decisions, I always just kind of be like, okay, or whatever. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, good to, you know, bring up these questions and also like, if you're doing it for money, say you're doing it for money, basically. <laughs> like if that's what they're going to say, like, don't pretend that they're like trying to add, you know, some extra special layer. Um, they're doing it for money and they're hoping it will, you know, uh, add, a, you know, a, an extra layer of enjoyment for their fans. But so I, I definitely appreciate it and enjoyed the article and everybody should go read it. So we should include a link on this, uh, on the notes to this show. And when I was writing that article, what immediately came to mind was Little Kim. And that was my anecdotal lead. And I liken it to, you know, how Little Kim has gone through all these surgeries because of abuse, both, you know, physically and also emotionally when it was kind of embedded in her that she's not enough. And it makes me feel like somebody is in the NBA's ear trying to convince them that they're not enough as it is. And to me, the biggest problem with the NBA isn't the product, it's the way that product is covered. It's the way that product is promoted. And I think we have gone through, through this a, a few shows, not a few shows back, but that's where the problem lies it's, yeah. and how it's presented. No, I definitely agree about that, Janelle. I think the NBA would have a lot more leeway to not, you know, make major changes if they work at the very minimum with their league partners on not bashing the product all the time. Like if, if you're having folks bash the product almost daily and, and then expect for folks to be interested in watching, uh, you know, the competition, then that, makes no sense like the the nfl and i have issues with the nfl but the nfl the one thing that they don't do constantly is bash the players they you know they talk about their play they talk about what happened and what didn't happen but they don't go into like the drama field which i feel like the nba does and that lessens the product until that changes that's going to hurt the product more than wanting to have more games played um, or having a play-in tournament or whatever they decide to do. I agree. I don't like it at all. I just, I don't know how to, the players already don't want to play in the All-Star game anymore because of, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, oh, the All-Star game, no. Then you want to add a mid-season tournament to that. And I think why, it's so, why it was so successful for the WNBA, they had the mid-season tournament. Then they had that whole Olympic break off, although they do play more months than the men do. But they had like a month off, so they had time to relax. Then they played the Commissioner's Cup. And then they went back into the season. It was a great flow. The NBA, stick to 82 games, stick to the preseason games. I'm fine with that, even though. 
82 is, is rough at times because we know how they feel about 82. They didn't like 72 too much. They don't like 82. So what do you like? I, I don't understand what NBA players like and don't like these days. I'm really confused, but I wouldn't watch it. Honestly, I just, I have a hard time watching a regular season at times because they play the same teams, but adding a, I guess a mid-season tournament for more money when they get bonuses already in their contracts, I just wouldn't care for it too much. Yeah, they need to just, if they're going to have a mid-season tournament, they need to reduce the number of games. Mm -hmm. I I think at this point, that's all, like, I'm not a fan of them reducing the number of games, but if they are going to have a mid-season tournament, I don't want them to be playing more games because even for someone who will watch it like me, all the games, like, you know, there's only so much you can do about that. Um, but I, I think I do agree just to emphasize that I don't think that they should have a midseason tournament. I think it's, you know, too immature for that. There are other things that they can fix before trying to add additional, you know, games or additional things to make things competitive, um, you know, bigger um you know first of which is like just the drama sort of centered or centered um media members um versus just talking about what the games are but other than that it's just you know i'm sort of in the standpoint that anything that the nba is trying to do is for money just like any other um business and any other sports organization i just don't want to have players get hurt you know on you know inintentionally because of a um, relatively mini- meaningless midseason tournament. Okay, ladies, is that is that good enough for today? Does that wrap up today for you guys? That was Any a great thoughts? discussion. I've never had such a deep discussion about the um, the uh, the standings, and that was really fun to get everybody's uh, thoughts on those how things were going to check out. They, I promise you, those standings will be different (laughs) because, you know, injuries and things like that. I don't think they'll go as planned. The NBA never goes as planned. The NFL never goes as planned. So it's going to be the survival of the fittest these days, I believe. And I want to see some, some new blood in the playoffs. Like we got Atlanta, we got the, we got the Knicks and we got Charlotte in the play in. I want to see some of that new blood in the playoffs. I like seeing that those younger players getting that experience early Instead of having to wait five, six, seven years to get that playoff experience. I like that, that was, personally. Yeah, that was really fun last season. Yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this recording will be up sometime this week. We appreciate you for tuning in. And for Amber, Britt, Tara, and Janelle, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.